All right, I got the uh, the Eagles will beat the Niners. A couple of teams that didn't win divisions I picked. So I got the Chiefs beating the Eagles in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I, okay, I'm sick of it now. That's All eight. Right? I did not know that was coming. I didn't call for that. Um, that's okay. It did happen on September 8th, and we did promise to, to play the hell out of it, but that's a bit much, isn't it? No, I think I you just want think- to point out the fact, look, you play the hits, and that's a hit. You yeah. picked the Super Bowl. Yeah, I'd but, lean into yeah, it, I'm, man. No, Come on. Playing I, the hits. Yeah. There you go. I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I'm very good as the guy like yelling out the comment from the back of the room. That's my skill. I'm not very good as the guy, you know, having to face the music. And oh. I, I had a story one time about the uh, the referees and uh, in the NBA, and they they ranked them. And I was breaking the story down as how they would send the better officials as the game as series went on, etc. And uh, anyway, long story boring. Some I forget the guy's name, but he got really mad about it, and he he talked. After before one of the games, Bulls game, and said that this was wrong, and accused me of of being in the pocket of these referees. Like he just like went off about this story, really angry about it, and they turned the cameras on me. Like I'm standing there with all these guys, we're doing an interview, and the guy like badmouths me, and then they turned the cameras on me and asked for my reaction. And what and was I, your reaction? I what did you do? I went. I think I laughed. I'm like, hey guys, like, what, what are we doing? That was before you are were we so, going out later? What are you doing? That was well before you're so polished in front of the microphone. So oh, I think, yeah, that's yeah. that's very funny. That's that's a that's a funny memory. Um, you picked the the winner. I think that we should play it another eight times next week and well, definitely let people yeah. know that you picked um, the Chiefs yeah. over the Eagles. Be blind squirrel. Uh, you know what's really interesting to me is this Vic Fangio story. Because we were talking about whether you would uh, – who would you trade uh, for? You know, we see that they, they gave up a first-round pick in Denver to get Sean Payton in there because Sean Payton is going to uh, is going to help them to get uh, Russell Wilson up and running. First and second. That's a lot. Well, they get a third back. Yeah, but, but yes, it is a lot. It's a swapping and spots, second and third, but it's still a first-round pick for a head coach. Yes, so it is, it's crazy. But but my point is simply that now you got a guy, and think about it. Think how good uh, Vic Fangio is. Um, you know, I I I think that when I look around the NFL and I look at these coaches, so Vic Fangio, this is the story today. He's gotten a three-year deal, $4.5 million a year from Miami. Three, there's a fourth-year option, but he's got – To be how, the defensive coordinator. Vic is 64 years old. Yeah. He's coming in as the defensive coordinator. I, do you think he's making more money than Mike McDaniel? I wonder that. I wonder what the head coach is making if he's making $4.5 million. I can't think that it would be conceivable to pay an assistant more than your head coach. That's just not. How many coaches not are realistic. making more? Than, does Matt Eberflus make four point five? I don't million? know that he does. If he does, the Bears have stepped up. I I don't know that you were in a bidding war for Matt Eberflus. I don't think you had to pay him five million dollars a year uh, over the course of his contract. If they're paying him more than that, it, wouldn't it surprise you? I I just so so let me ask you this in, in the context of crazy amount of money. It's a crazy amount of money for a, 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 a coordinator. The, he is the highest paid coordinator in the NFL. Without period. Doubt. End of story. Without yeah. a doubt. 
So we talked during the pick six, what would you trade for a head coach, right. the right head coach, in the context of the Sean Payton news? Well, I'm, Are NFL teams moving toward trading for coordinators? Wow. Because if you have a guy that what you're willing you give to give up for Vic, what would you yeah. give up for Vic Fangio? He's making four and a half million dollars a year. He's making more than I want to know this. If we could do any research, we'll have to find out if it, what's available in terms of information. How many head coaches make what Vic Fangio's making? He's making head coach money. So there's 32 head coaches. I would think that maybe less than half David, there's make no, more than that. There is no limit to how much you can pay for a coach. There's no salary cap for coaches. No, no. There's no staff restrictions. No, you can go out and get the best people and pay them the most money, and and maybe that's a way around uh, some of the restraints of of the salary cap. So let's say that Vic Fangio, after one year in Miami, isn't so compatible with Mike McDaniel or whatever hypothetical you want to apply, and it doesn't have to be Vic, Vic Fangio. I think the question becomes, is the NFL taking a step toward, after trading for Sean Payton, you referenced some other historic examples, if coordinators mean more than ever, could you see trading for the right coordinator? If you value coordinators as much as you're starting to value your head coach, it's not crazy to consider. For the right coordinator, for the team, if you're the Dallas Cowboys, don't you think Jerry Jones might have considered trading for a available offensive coordinator that might be under contract with somebody else and maybe falling out of That's favor, whatever the case? interesting. That's very interesting. Jerry Jones would do something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think he would. I, I mean, and let's be honest, you know, what they've done in Dallas is they got Mike McCarthy coaching for his life. It's as simple it, as that. A, they're just going to, they're calling his bluff. Okay, now you call the offense. You got to call the plays. And when he can't do it and he's bad game management guy, well, who's watching the clock? Exactly. <laughs> so, that, you know, he's, he's got a problem. I, but, David, like, as I said to you, I think that I would give up a first round pick to get Kyle Shanahan. I think that I would give up a first-round pick to definitely get Sean McVay. I think I would give up a first-round pick to get someone like uh, Mike Tomlin. I think those are probably the only guys I, I would. I, 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 you know, Belichick has already been traded for. He's 70 years old. I don't think I would go that route. I don't think I'd go for Andy Reid. He's 64, and, and I don't know that I'd want those – Whatever, how many years it, he got it, left? It's, it's, it's dependent upon what your roster is like, where you are as an organization, if you feel like you are one head coach away from taking that next step. If you are a team that – if you're the Los Angeles Chargers – Yeah. You, I mean, that Wouldn't crazy. you trade for Andy Reid? Well – Give up – yes. you, you would be more likely to give yes. up a first-round draft you're pick right. for Andy Reid. You're right. See – it depends yes. on the situation. They're I close think enough. my first reaction is, that's crazy. I would not give up a draft pick. Given the way that we value draft picks in today's NFL, I would not give up one of those for a head coach because I just don't think that when you look at the totality of your organization and how much you need talent to make your head coaches look smarter, giving up a first-round draft pick and all that represents to you as an organization for a coach who might come in and have a roster that is now talent deficient because you've taken away one of his biggest impact guys. Yeah, you know, I, and I, I'm going to be brutally honest about this. I felt that way until Bill Belichick. I remember when that happened and I was like, 
why the hell would you ever give up a first-round pick for that guy? It did, didn't make sense. I knew that he was this great assistant, and I knew that he had come up with these great defensive game plans uh, under Bill Parcells. But I didn't know that he was the talent. You know, It's almost like a music group where you have this collection of people. Bill was the front man, but you didn't realize that uh, it was Belichick that was writing the music, and he was also the lyricist, and he was do- he was the guy that could produce the beautiful he music. He was everything. He was worth it. Yes. Yeah. So he was the Lindsey Buckingham or whatever, whoever you want to compare him to. The talent that you could take out of that group and would be good generationally, right? And then he goes and he wins all these Super Bowls. If 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 you won one Super Bowl, wouldn't it be worth a first Yes, it pick? would. No doubt about it. In Chicago, oh, my gosh, you would give up a first-round draft pick for the right coach if that coach was going to come here and win a Super Bowl because of his presence here, because of his impact on the organization. I just don't know how realistic that is. And, and we're also coming off, as, and it bears repeating this. We talked about it during the pick six. We're just coming off a season in Chicago where everything was sacrificed because you wanted to get that first-round number one overall pick. And whether that was by design or accidental, the accidental incompetence or the orchestrated losing, whatever, however you want to explain it or justify it or not, that mattered more than anything else in a football town. Now you're going to turn around and justify potentially trading a first-round draft pick for the right coach to, for this roster? You're going nowhere fast. We have a texter checking in, and I'll have to look this up. But He says the Bears gave up. It's the 32nd pick for uh, Chase Claypool, and and uh, that is basically a first-round draft pick. The Broncos gave up the 29th pick for Sean Payton. Who do you think makes the bigger impact on a team? I think that is a very convenient question to ask right now. Yeah, I agree. Y- you can win that argument if you're trying to make the argument that it, the Broncos have the better end of that. No doubt about it. You win, Texter. Congratulations. <laughs> That's a great point to make in the context of where the Bears are with their roster and where the Broncos are with their coaching staff. I just don't think, as a rule, I want to get in the habit of even considering trading draft picks for head coaches or coordinators or whatever, wherever this trend is headed because I just think you look at examples, and I don't want to disrespect Nick Sirianni. But I also don't want to overstate how good of a head coach he is because you look at his roster and, and you look, look at the way Howie Roseman surrounded his quarterback with talent, and I think, my goodness, that is a team in the Super Bowl because of the general manager, not their head coach. It's an interesting point. 312-644-6767. We should let you know the listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download betql app today or visit betql.com and uh we've got keith in downers grove hi keith what's up keith i got i'm going through this i gotta i gotta disagree with you on that i feel like if you were the bears and you have a franchise quarterback what you do with justin fields and you have a chance to give up a first round pick for sean payton you do that because you got a coach that's proven and you have no excuse of what he can bring to the table. You just sit there and say that you don't, you wouldn't give him up for a coach. 
totally disagree with it because now you solidify the chances of of getting better players because you got a franchise quarterback and you got a good coach versus a franchise quarterback and a coach you hope pans out. So I just got a question for you. If we had a chance to get Sean Payton for a first-round draft pick to go with Justin Fields, would you get him? No. Thank you for my call. Thank you for your call. Thank, Thank you for buddy. your opinion. I'm glad you feel so strongly about it. I'm glad the debate is in front of you, but there's no way I would do that. No way. Kyle Shanahan, Sean Payton, fill in the blanks. You just you just sacrificed an entire season in the history of the Chicago Bears, and you want to say that you're going to turn around and take that pick and trade it for a coach? Yeah, well, that that I wouldn't give the number one overall pick. I mean, I would trade down a couple uh, times. You know, I, I'd trade down – Till I got into the twenties, <laughs> I would. But okay. but and, and David, I I mean, listen, I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I'd give up the number one overall pick for Sean Payton or anyone else. I do think though that there are coaches in this league that are really good. You know, Sean McVay is is kind of you know had to, had a decision to make: should he come back? Should he not come back? And he's decided to come back. And we don't know if he is like. You know, Sean McVay has a chance to pass like Don Shula. He has a chance to be that kind of guy who could move. Think about it. But the league is hiring anybody that was within I, a sneeze of I, Sean McVay. If you could get him for a first-round draft pick, I you wouldn't, wouldn't do it? I wouldn't do it, Molly. I, I understand the logic, but I also think that the, I'm not saying that there aren't great coaches that make impact when you hire them and pay them whatever they want. Here's a blank check, Sean McVay. Come come save our franchise. Or Kyle Shanahan or Sean Payton. I just think that when you have those situations, typically it's with organizations that have struggled, that are talent deficient, that don't have impact players. The best way to change that, we all hear it all the time, draft-driven. You've got to value these picks like they're gold. I get it. I'm buying in. Great. I'm not going to turn around after buying into that concept and think, well, you know what? All we need is the right strategy and the right scheme and because the smartest schemes and the most innovative coaches are still going to be 8 and 9 if they don't have talent. We've got we got two texters that are from different area codes. One after the other have texted in. One guy says, "Matt Eberflus would have been fired in Indy." if he hadn't gotten the Chicago job, so he comes to Chicago, whoop-de-deuce. And then we got another texter who says, Matt Eberflus, uh, Indy fell apart without him because he's a great leader, and he came to Chicago, and he's been a good leader. I, I just find it amusing that you can reach the same conclusion on a guy based on his t- where he came from, right? It, it's just really interesting to me. And, and I don't know – how good a leader he is because Chicago kind of fell apart. But that, again, is by design. We talk about the Bulls, and they put together a team in a weird way. The Bears wanted to lose, clearly, and they have gone about it the right way. You know what will make him a better leader and a smarter head coach? Players. Talent. Yeah. Talent. Yeah, get him that. Draft picks. Get him that. Uh, Draft picks that you three keep. Three technique. Get, get him, him a defensive line. Jalen Carter. Him an offensive line. Will yes. Anderson will make yes. Matt Eberflus's defense look brilliant. He'll, yeah. he'll, he'll feel like Buddy Ryan. I, I just think that. Uh, I think the problem is, David, and I think a lot of people realize this, that 
the draft picks, that, that, you know, it's a roll of the dice. It is a different game in college than the NFL. You're playing with different players. You, you know, if you're drafted high and you're making some money, sometimes you lose your will to play. You don't know who has, who loves all the little things and all the, who wants to put all the work in. And, you know, Tom Brady retires. Is it because he was the 199th pick that he turned out to be this great player? That is that what motivated him to be a great player? Was it something else? Did he have something in him that you're trying to tap into? I just think that so many players fail as highly regarded draft They're picks. lottery tickets. It's what it is. They are lottery and, tickets. And you get carried so, away with that idea. Sometimes you really hit the lotto and you're like, wow, this is unbelievable. I can do this. We could just go in the fifth round and take all these guys. <laughs> it's not usually the way it happens. 708 points out and texts in. The Bears have not had a competent head coach since Lovey Smith. We saw how important a coach was when the Cubs won the World Series. Okay, I understand in Chicago why you would use that example with Joe Madden and why the Cubs were uh, the beneficiaries of having the right manager going out and making that happen. That said, number one, it's kind of muddling the muddying the argument a little bit because – they didn't give up a draft pick. They sacrificed a manager to do that. And secondly, if you have a team, I'm not saying that this is a hard and fast rule I would apply to every situation every time. There are exceptions to rules. I might make an exception if I had a, a roster and a team that couldn't get over the top, that was good enough to get into the playoffs, and maybe your, your, your draft pick was in the middle of the first round and you just needed that something different and you had players that were underachieving and the right head coach could bring out in them what the previous regime couldn't. I'm not saying I wouldn't do it under those circumstances, but generally speaking, when you have a roster as deficient in talent as the Bears is and an organization historically that you, can't find... You need fi- picks more than coaching. Yes. yes. That's a fair comment about the Bears. All the time. But let me ask you this. You know... We talk about Nick Sirianni. This guy is in the Super Bowl. He is now coaching his team to try to beat Kansas City and be the champions of the NFL. Did is is his presence what turned Jalen Hurts into the player he is? Was it his offense? Was it his working with him? Or was there something in Jalen Hurts that made him become the better player, become a great player? Is there something that motivated him? Is it all coaching? Or it's a is great it the question. It really is. Is it the chicken or the egg? Well, I think that it's impossible for us to answer that in Chicago or Philadelphia. Yes. And I don't want to say it's the coach because I have such respect for the player. And I would like to believe, and I don't know this, but this you're asking me my opinion you could put several coaches in place of Nick Sirianni, and I think that Jalen Hurts, because of his mental composition and competitiveness, would have ascended anyway, would have been the player that he's become, would have been the leader that they needed, because I just think that you look at his career and he finds a way to get it done. So he would have, regardless of Sirianni being there, Sirianni has benefited from Jalen Hurts to me more than Jalen Hurts has benefited from Sirianni. That's a great answer. All right, we've got John Heyman. So you're saying trade for the coach. Yeah. We got, <laughs> we got John Heyman. We're going to talk some baseball with him next. He had a good conversation with Jed Hoyer. Some great stuff came out of that. It's Mully and Hall on the score. 
John Heyman, insider for Odyssey Sports and MLB Network. Chicago is watching carefully, no question about it. New York Post columnist, co-host of the Big Time Baseball Podcast. From the championship team of 2016, which was anything you could have done to keep one or more of these guys? It's a really hard time to try to sign guys to an extension. They were not in the mind space at that point. Curb your enthusiasm, enthusiast. You hate people. Well, I hate people individually, but I love mankind. John Heyman with Mully and Haw. I like the White Sox. You never know with the Cubs. On 670 The Score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. Always a delight to talk to our friend John Heyman. And he, of course, is an Odyssey MLB insider. And insider calls are presented by BetQL. Get access to data and insights the sports books don't want you to see. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app or visit betql.com today. John's also the host of the Odyssey Original Podcast, Big Time Baseball, with Cody Decker and Tony Gwynn. And he's covering entire Major League Baseball, which is no small task. And John, of course, joins us on the score. Hotline, which is brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. John, always a delight, buddy. How are you this morning? I'm good. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. Yeah, we're holding up. You know, I, I um, you know, want to get to some of the Jed Hoyer stuff, but I just wanted to get your opinion. Uh, the Athletic did a rating of everybody's offseason, and everyone got like a, you know, there's some A's. Everybody got a B. There was a couple of C's and C minuses. The Rockies got a D, and the one team that, you know, you were hoping for more from, they got an F. That's the Chicago White Sox. F for the offseason. Come on, man. <laughs> That's not a very good grade. Uh, well, I guess, <laughs> I, I mean, I guess they, you know, they took a shot with Clevenger, and that looks like a, a, a mistake. So, you know, if that's your big move, I, I, I you know, it's probably hard to argue. Uh you know, but the off season doesn't mean that uh, the season's not going to be good, right? So, uh, you know, and they lost to Brayu too, right? So, um, yeah, I would, I give him a D minus. You know, F's a bit harsh. <laughs> John, where is this Mike Clevenger thing going? We have yet to hear from the White Sox in person. They issued a statement. MLB continues, presumably, its investigation into the domestic abuse and child abuse allegations. We have seen this before with Trevor Bauer and placing him on administrative leave. What do you expect to happen in the next couple of weeks before spring training with Mike Clevenger? Yeah, well, I mean, they're, they're doing their investigation. And, you know, it's difficult to predict uh, how long it'll take or what the result will be. Uh, there have been occasional cases where guys were not suspended, where there was not enough evidence, or, you know, potentially uh, the fellow was innocent. So uh, I think we was investigated one time, and he happened to be innocent of that particular allegation. I'm not saying he's completely innocent, but, uh, you know, in most of these cases, it does result in a suspension. That doesn't mean it will in this case, but, uh, you know, uh, most of them are, you know, some portion of the season. Trevor Bauer was the exception, where the original suspension encompassed two seasons, and then it's was pared down to 194 games, which is still more than a season. That that's that's a rarity. You've got to really be a recidivist, a real a real problem uh, to get that kind of a penalty. Most of the penalties are closer to 15, 30 games or something of that order. But again, I don't know all the facts here, so I'm not going to guess at what the result will be. 
um, the uh, on the same uh, format, the the Cubs got a B, and the Cubs spent some money and they went out. And you know, I'm curious if you like what they've done. I know you've talked to Jed. They've got um, he says Cody Bellinger's showing up at the crack of dawn. He's working on his swing. He's going to get better. They think that they've picked up. A, what do they spend? They spend a ton of money, and they think they've improved their team significantly. The goal now is to get to the playoffs. It's a, it's a different offseason than we've seen from the Cubs in a couple of years. Yeah, I, I would have given them an A. I don't know. Maybe I'm an easy grader, but, you know, I, you know, I've come on your show many times and knocked them for not spending. So now you can't very well say, well, as long as they spent uh, reasonably, uh, you know, that, you, that you're critical of it. Um, I, I like what they've done. Uh, Danson Swanson, I think, Obviously, the big move, and uh, he's trending in the right direction. He was as good as or better than Correa and Turner and Bogarts last year. You know, so um, that was a great signing. That was the guy they were kind of focused on all along, as we've suggested. Um, You know, they did a lot of things. Uh, Tyone is a solid pitcher. You know, unfortunately, or fortunately for him, solid pitchers really get a lot of money. so, uh, you know, and he chose the Cubs instead of the Phillies who'd offered more money, uh, a little bit more, I think $1 million more per year. So, you know, a lot of guys want to be a Cub. A lot of guys want to play in Wrigley. That was true of Hosmer. And on our podcast, uh, Jed said that uh, Hosmer, they expect to play against right-handed pitching to start and see how it goes. They got him on the minimum deal, which, you know, you can't argue with that. Um uh, so, I don't know. B, B seems kind of harsh to me. I mean, uh, the F I can get, but I think the B was pretty tough. John, I'm glad you brought that up because you have been tough on the Cubs on this show and uh, other <laughs> platforms, and I think it's been merited at times. And so I wonder, when you got into that conversation with Jed Hoyer, did that come up? And did did he talk about, exa- if not the direct criticism from you, but just how he has evolved or his decision-making changed from – you know, they did have a very good offseason, but I think at one point in time, they decided they had to. Yeah, I mean, my criticism uh, didn't come up. I, 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 I like to try to make these uh, interviews uh, somewhat comfortable. And uh, usually, <laughs> when well, with Joe Sherman, I'm actually playing the good guy. So uh, I didn't bring that up. But I, I think he understands my criticism was more about their, their spending level considering their revenue base. Uh, that they just don't spend enough, that they frankly don't try hard enough. And that's more of an ownership question. I would say that last year I would not have signed um, Stro- uh, Stroman. I would not have signed, uh, and, and he was fine, but I, I would not have signed uh, Frazier. I, I keep writing his first name. I think it's Jackson Frazier now. It used to be Clint. Uh, I, I didn't like their offseason last year, so I, I might not give him an F, but close to it. Um, but my criticisms are generally about the uh, lack of spending for a team that has very, very good revenues, more than uh, the GM. And, you know, they all understand it's part of the job anyway to be in the eye of the storm. We had a high bloom on the week before, and those, those were questions for him because he's really in the eye of the storm. I, I don't think people generally blame Hoyer for uh, what's gone on with the Cubs, although obviously he doesn't get much credit lately either. Uh, it's been a, it's been a while since 2016, which we did talk about that. And and they're they they've got a farm system that's in good shape, right? I think they've got a top ten farm system. And you look at them and you think, you know, their top three prospects are all outfielders. 
So they've kind of they've done some stopgap stuff that will allow them to then kind of transition into uh, into a team with with a different outfield altogether. Um, you know, maybe Suzuki's contract's pretty long, but it's it's uh, it's interesting to see the way they will improve uh, internally. Yeah, you know, normally stopgap stuff is not uh, it's not warrant praise, but in this case, uh, you know, in the, their division, they they may have a shot um, with that stopgap stuff, and they do have some good prospects. That was an excellent trade uh, for Pete Crow Armstrong mm-hmm. in particular. I think Alcantara is uh, highly regarded in the outfield, so they definitely have prospects. Uh, they made good moves. Um, you know, I think uh, Barnhart is a good defensive catcher. That's kind of under the radar. He did not have a good year last year, so they got him kind of on a bargain as the new catcher. And, you know, I, it was interesting that they never made a play for Contreras, who's obviously been a very productive uh, catcher. And, uh, you know, he didn't re- really address that. I don't know that we didn't ask it or he didn't address it. But, um, you know, I, I the more I think about it, that B is pretty tough for the Cubs. I think they had a very nice – uh, winter and uh, did the right thing to fill in some holes for now, and then uh, there'll be some some uh, re- uh, reinforcements coming in. And uh, look, they were they were actually pretty good over the last couple months, right? So I like their manager. Uh, they're they've got good outfield prospects, and I like their moves. So uh, let's try to think positively about the Cubs more than a B. John, I want to go back to the Mike Clevenger thing because of your experience in covering stories like the, this one. What is the appropriate level of responsibility or should we hold the Sox responsible for for doing due diligence in a case where they signed him to a $12 million contract and this was an investigation that began last summer? I just wonder, do you look at this as part of the Sox should have known or they should have done more uh, background checking? Should they have asked the right questions? I, we're struggling here to figure out exactly what the Sox should have done, or do you understand that the confidentiality that these investigations carry prevented them from finding out what they needed to? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly confidentiality when it comes to these investigations, and there's no reason to think that they should have known that this case was going on. You know, I will say, uh, you know, he has been kind of a, a you know, uh, he's had issues in the past. Uh, you know, he was the guy who went out with Zach Plesak during the pandemic, and um, he was disciplined for that. There was, I mean, you have to go back and look at the history of it, and I don't know if they did or if they were put off by it. If they did, did do that, uh, there was a history of some, social media complaints from a, a different uh, ex of his while he was a, 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 a was it a, were they Indians at the time? I guess so. And while he was with Cleveland. Um, so there, you know, if you did a, a lot of research in terms of social media or maybe interviewed the, the guardians guys, I know that they're, they're rivals. So I don't know if you can really ask them about it. Uh, that they could have found out, and, you know, that's a bit of a red flag. It's not like this. It's not like this kind of an allegation where a suspension uh, could be coming. Uh, that I don't think they could have known. So, uh, you know, I would say that they, they, they should take some responsibility because, uh, you know, he, he did not have a perfect track record, even from what we knew publicly. John, thank you. We appreciate your time. Thanks, John. All right.
right. Good talking to you guys. See you later. See you, buddy. That is great stuff from uh, from our fine Odyssey MLB insider, John Heyman. And insider calls are presented by BetQL. BetQL is here to help us all make better bets through real proven analytics. Bet smarter. Beat the books. Download the BetQL app or visit BetQL.com today. See, he told you the Cubs had a good offseason. Um, I, I like that he wanted to take it easy on the Sox, so he gave him a D minus. <laughs> yeah, that still doesn't <laughs> inspire you I with mean, a whole lot of hope. No, but I mean, it's not an F. F is mean. A D minus is, uh, yeah, he, maybe you could raise that grade if, if I Col- do Colson wonder. Montgomery makes it. Quickly. I do wonder if the F is reflective of the fact that one of their major signings in Mike Clevenger is one that brought them all kinds of headaches now. Yes. Was that factored into the equation? I'm sure. I'm sure it's an embarrassment. And I think that, you know, you lose a run producer and a leader like Abreu, you got to, you know, another team viewed him as a $60 million player and you just let him walk. So you view that. Um, You also have a closer issue, whether um, that's, you know, just a sad story, a guy, Gets cancer and hopefully he's back at some point. But uh, but that was a guy that maybe you were going to trade. They talked about trades at one point. Uh, they haven't made any and they haven't really signed anybody. I think that when you go into a season in it with a bunch of holes and you haven't addressed them all, that's probably why they gave them a bad grade. What do you think? I think that's probably fair. That's yeah. the way, way they probably looked at it. It's right. just when you see the F. It's crazy. It's as indelible as it might look if you were, you know, getting it on your own report card. And how did I flunk English? And and I I don't know if it was yesterday that you saw the um, farm system ratings. The Cubs were 10th, according to Keith Law, the White Sox, 28th. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure there are 30 teams in MLB. He's not that a big Sox. No, he doesn't fan. like He's not a big supporter Never. of the Sox. It's, these ra- it's rating season, so there's going to be all kinds yes. of rankings, yes. all kinds of conversation. There's a couple weeks to spring training. Baseball talk in the air, which, by the way, thank you for the segue there. Uh, Brian Cashman, tomorrow morning, 930, on oh, Inside wow. the Clubhouse. Fantastic. Chip Carey, the new voice of the St. Louis Cardinals at 10. Bruce Levine and I will be there for Inside the Clubhouse 9 to 11, as we are every Saturday morning. Dustin, does it matter to you that uh, Chip Carey became a uh, Cardinals broadcaster? Does that resonate in any way? It doesn't Is matter. Not, it doesn't matter, right? Because he didn't leave Chicago to do it. He was elsewhere. So you still like him? He said that in a way that, like, you know, he's – yeah, he doesn't I'm, matter. I'm saying you no, don't. No, he matters. Like, but I, I mean, I don't mind him. But it's not like I, I'm not. It's different. It's different when it's players. I think than broadcasters. Okay. Okay. That's for me. Yeah. So you'll listen. He's had to something in between. Like he yeah. didn't go from he didn't go from one side to the other. He 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 took the long way to get back home. I guess. You will listen to him on inside the clubhouse. Is what you're saying? Of course. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. It's important. Had nothing to do with he doesn't, you know, again, no, he matters. We, we want to tell good our, stories. We want to support David, obviously, but we also want to support Bruce. Bruce does a great job. He the does. two of you together do a great he job. He does a great job booking that show. Yeah, that's good. Brian Cashman's a good get. It's a good get. I love that guy's name. It's just like the perfect baseball New York Yankees <laughs> builder of team. Cashman. He's a money executive. He really is, and he's done a great job. And the other thing is, like, whenever they need anything, he can tap into it. Uh, well, I need something. I need Joe Fortin about to tell me who's going to win the uh, the uh, the game of tag this week, or whatever you call it, touch foot. No, 
We'll talk to Joe about how the line's moving, what's happening, and uh, we'll check in with our man in Vegas. It's Bully and Hall on the score. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. Always a delight to talk to our friend Joe Fortenbaugh. He is our man in Vegas. And all guests on the score hotline brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Joe, you are now known as a television personality. If you uh, <laughs> if you look yeah. into yourself as as Mr. Daily Wager, weekdays at five, four letter negative. Did you know that you're a television personality? I, how does one become one? It, it's it's unfolded in front of us. God bless you. Generally, generally, you're notified to your presence on TV. <clears throat> Excuse me, fellas. Um, when you make some sort of mistake, and then social media <laughs> wants to point it out and highlight it, and and circle it, and Photoshop it. Here's an example. Um, I was doing. The, the TV show from home yesterday, and in the final segment, one of the one of the people on the show said they had never seen the movie Groundhog Day, and I just, you know, I I found that to be unacceptable, so I stood up and I just walked off my my home set. I thought that'd be funny. It come to find out later, I forgot that I wasn't wearing the lower half of my suit. I was just in like a <laughs> pair of shall we say boxer shorts, and that made its way into the into the scene, and obviously Twitter uh, went right to work on that. Um, never pointing out a winner, never pointing out a really smart, uh, eloquent sentence, only just the failures. See, I, I gain respect for you, Joe, because you still dress like a radio guy, right? Yeah. So that's fine. <laughs> Just, just the fact, like putting on this suit is just such a pain in the rear end, and and, and going through the whole thing with the 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 sh- nice shoes and everything else. Um, I work with Doug Kazarian on the show. Doug used to do this thing in the summer where he would wear shorts and flip flops on the lower half when we were on the set because he's like, yeah, some people will do this in Bristol too, and I was like, that's funny. And then when the overhead shot on the jib comes in to open the show, we have a clear desk. So you could see the white lightning thighs of Doug Kazarian on the on the show, and like immediately we heard from the higher ups, like you better be wearing pants moving forward. Uh, That's hilarious. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. All right, Joe. So you've been going through your own battle with this game. I mean, you are, as we know, a Philly guy, and you're uh, you're you got your, uh, your 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 struggles trying to manage. Well, you're married into the Bills mafia. Your kids are. Niners fans, whether they know it or not, and uh, and you're left with Philly. Um, I I love. We talked before, and I love the logic of running the football and and keeping you know that offense off the field and keeping both offenses kind of off the field. I think both teams are going to concentrate on trying to run the ball. So we've seen some some wild movements as you try to figure out the, the, the side and the total. Total opened around 51, because this will answer your question a little bit more specifically before we go to the side. It got bet down pretty quickly to about 49.5, which I found interesting because this is one of the rare games where the public has a very big say in what's going to happen with the number because so much money is going to be bet, and we know the public likes to bet overs. So to see guys take an early position on the under was somewhat fascinating. Then we saw it tick back up to 51. Now it's sitting at 50 and a half. I'm, I am, I'm sitting out right now. I'm just watching all of this because I think it's going to go higher, but I do like the under. I, I think it's exactly that. If you're Kansas City, why would you want to move up and down the field with extreme pace? 
Why would you want to move that quickly? Because all you're going to do if you end up scoring is put Philadelphia right back on the field. And of the four units, both offenses, both defenses, I think the Chiefs' defense is the weakest unit. I mean, they're bottom three in the red zone. And while they've played pretty well in the playoffs, I think that's the weak spot. So if you're going to have them out there for 35 minutes in the game, you're probably going to be in trouble come the fourth quarter. You know, conversely, Philly wants to run. Um, I could see them wanting to control tempo a little bit as well. So the under is one of my leans, um, and I'm going to play and I'm just going to let the public get involved later in the week. What I think is fascinating with the side is that this open pick and was bet as high as Philly minus two before it set back down at one and a half, which is where it is now. But one of the sharpest books here in town, and you guys mentioned them as we come back from break, Circus Sports, they hung Kansas City minus two and a half. And mm-hmm. all the other sharp books hung pick them. And I'm thinking to myself, these guys are really sharp, and they had KC minus two and a half. And they're aware of the injuries and everything else that we're aware of. So I've just been kind of letting that sit in my mind that that's the opinion of some really smart guys out there. And I think ultimately, as we start to get news on the wide receiver situation in Kansas city, that this is going to move back towards a pick or so. I think right now, if you like the chiefs and you play the one and a half, this might be the best you see barring uh, a cataclysmic injury report. It's not going to go Philly minus three. So I think it's going to move back the other way towards Kansas city. So Joe general question here. But based on your experience in past Super Bowls, no, I'm not going to ask you about the anthem. That's next Friday. (laughs) But I I think that is the trend typically your friend or is the Super Bowl different because of the extra preparation, because of the magnitude? Do you find historically that the Super Bowl tends to be uh, an element that is, is even harder to predict or bet on than the regular season in the playoffs? There was an angle a while ago, we can't play it anymore, but the idea of deferring on the kick because you wanted the ball to start the second half, and, and that kind of set up a myriad or a, a domino effect of props that you could play. Because some teams used to still accept the ball first. Like, that's what I'm interested in this game. Are both teams willing to defer, or do both teams want the ball? Because if you know that, and you can handicap how the toss is going to go, you could put yourself in a position where, um, you know, first first down, first punt, first score that second Giants Patriots Super Bowl was perfect like that because um the Patriots always deferred after Tom Brady got hurt and the Giants like to accept the ball so you pretty much knew the Giants were getting the ball to start the game so you could make all those prop bets I think some of those trends you got to be careful about the venue are we talking about an outside venue because I think anything in an outside venue means nothing for a game like this I also think it it not so much, hey, the underdog has won 8 of 10. Eh, I'm not necessarily getting into that, and that's not even true. I just use that as a stat, as an example. But um, I would look to things where do you get a lower-scoring first half because there's jitters, there's nerves. You know, when, when you talk about safeties, it's always interesting that the safety prop comes up a lot, and everyone wants to bet it because it has a – you know, you bet a little to win a lot. But on top of that, they're sucking the, the value out of that now because the books know it's coming. Over time, they're sucking the value out of that. They know you're coming. So there are some, some trends and some storylines, I think, that can help you find some niche avenues because there's so many opportunities here. But some of the general overarching trends, if the game's played outside, it means nothing to me for this game. Okay, so just generally speaking, in all sports, how important is coaching? When you're, when you're making a pick, are you looking at the battle between Andy Reid and Nick Sirianni? Is it more important in baseball? Is it less important in, in the NBA? I, I don't know. I don't know the importance of coaching. It seems like a mismatch in a way, Joe. 
So in the NBA, coaching's important if you can figure out how coaches run their rotations. Like with, with Golden State, you know, if Steph Curry's going to come out with three minutes to go in the first quarter and then he's not going to come back in until eight minutes to go in the second quarter, guys have their normal um, rotation patterns. That's when you're live betting, you can take advantage of the situation. And that's why when you play the Denver Nuggets, if you understand when Jokic is going to sit, you can do well from a live betting perspective because Jokic off the floor, the Nuggets can barely compete with high school teams. But when he's on the floor, it's a completely different story. So coaching, to an extent, it matters but figure out their patterns. In football, absolutely. In baseball, it's similar to to basketball where how long is a starter going to stay in the game? Some of these new-age guys want the starters coming out early, so when you're talking about strikeout props and things of that nature, you know, you might be more inclined to go with unders. Andy Reid has got to be respected big time in this spot. The experience factor and also throw in the fact that uh, off a of bye week, he's been incredible, absolutely incredible. You have to factor that in. You absolutely have to, plus the fact that the Chiefs have been here before, so they know what the week leading up to the game is going to be like, whereas the Eagles, a lot of those guys have not. You don't want to get caught dealing with tickets and family and friends and media obligations during that week because it takes your eye off the prize. Teams have gotten burned by that before. Philly's game against New England back in, like, 2006, whenever it was, the Eagles, the Patriots knew they were going to win because the Eagles were on the field so early, running around, screaming, yelling, using up all their energy. The, there's a great anecdote about the Patriots looking at Dawkins saying, you know what, we're going to win this game. These guys are going to be out of gas. And that's exactly what happened. Joe, you're the best. Can't wait for next week. That's when we're going to get all the weird bets. And Dustin is already timing uh, all the national anthem stuff. But uh, always enjoy, buddy. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Joe. You. It's going to get real weird next week, boys. Real weird. Have a great week. Love you, Chicago. That is Joe Fortenbaugh, Daily Wager, weeknights uh, at 5 on uh, ESPN. So make sure you watch. He's beautiful. He is a very well put together. Always man. brings it. Always brings always it. Always looks like a yeah. million bucks. We've got another man that always brings it. It is the great Jeff Joniak. He'll join us next. He's the voice of the Senior Bowl. Yes. How about that? And the voice of the Bears. And the voice of the Bears. Yeah. We've got a couple things to talk to him about. They're connected, you know, Senior Bowl Bears. Mully and Haw, Chicago Sports Radio 6-7 to the score.